are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and let them know that Locked On sent you. I'm your host, your pal, in the Kitty Copied Off in Math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL, and the show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And today is going to be a day of left tackles. I want to talk to you about the left tackle position battle between Rashad Hill and Christian Darasaw. I want to break that down, preview it a little bit for you. If you've been listening for a while, some of it might be a little redundant, but there'll be a little something for, for you in there as well. I also want to do a Storytime series entry of somebody who was drafted as a left tackle, but is going to be playing it. That's Ezra Cleveland. We'll be talking about him as well. No real news to uh, talk about over the weekend. I hope you all had a very good weekend. So let's just dive right in. So I want to talk about these two left tackles. We're going to start with Rashad Hill, who, uh, look, I have said, and I'm probably one of the higher people on Rashad Hill out there in the Vikings world, and kind of by proxy, one of the lower people on Christian Darrisaw when it comes to this Uh, position battle. And I've kind of said, look, this is a 50-50 battle. This is not some formality. If you look at Wyatt Davis and Dakota Dozier, look, Dakota Dozier, I'm not sure if he's 100% rosterable. So I think the competition between him and Wyatt Davis is more about, is Wyatt Davis like good enough to justify putting him on the field at all? And not necessarily like this actual mano-a-mano battle between Dozier and him with Darisaw and Hill, I often see a lot of people kind of treating it the same way. Seeing Rashad Hill as this guy, you know, we saw him play so poorly in 2018, and uh, he's been a backup for so long. Look, as soon as Darisaw is ready, he goes in. I don't think that's the case. And I've said that a bunch of times on this show, but I wanted to really dive in and justify it. Now, a, a couple of months ago, I did an episode that was titled something like Rashad Hill is better than you think, and kind of talked about a lot of these points, but I'll recap them if you missed it. Go listen to that one for a little more detail detail and some tape and stuff like that. But I guess I want to break this down into like traits, both because I don't think there's like a statistical argument that you can really make for, you know, pro and college reasons and also just offensive line statistics aren't that good and sample sizes are kind of wacky. Um, Instead, let's talk about traits and just kind of list off the different categories on which we would evaluate offensive linemen and kind of see who wins what. And we'll do a little, you know, round one, round two, et cetera. So I guess the first thing for Rashad Hill that he really uh, is, is lauded for this kind of his whole game is length. And he's six foot six and his arms didn't actually get measured at the combine. But if you've ever seen the guy, I mean, he's lanky as hell. He's got extremely long arms and that's like his game. He uses his length to keep guys off of him, and he's always been pretty good at using that length. Um, There's ways to beat length that he's gotten better at countering, but his game is the game of a long, long long-armed offensive lineman. Um, There's also his footwork. In 2018, his footwork was pretty bad. He was like jazz stepping, and he was crossing his feet a lot, and that's, you know, 
try having any leverage with, you know, crossed feet. You're not going to be very good at it. Um, he's gotten a lot better at that. His kick slide has really been uh, kind of sorted out and untangled. And that gives him a decent amount of range as well, especially off of the edge against like speedier rushers. He can uh, get a little bit further down and he's on a better base for most of it, which means that um, when he loses the hand battle, He's less often dead to rights or, you know, that less often turns into an embarrassing miss like it did all the time in 2018. You probably remember a few of those. Um, He's always had decent power in like in the run game, um, but also in terms of like standing up to bull rushes and stuff. That's never been a problem for him. It's never really been his strength or his game, Um, but that's never, you know, like his uh, his headline or anything. And I think a couple of important things. um, There's never any effort concerns with Rashad Hill. And of course, he has veteran experience, which are two things he's going to have over Derisaw. We'll talk more about Derisaw's side of that when we get to him. Um, so I, I think the, the only other thing I want to kind of talk about are his hands, um, and his hand fighting never really been my favorite. Um, I think if there's one particular weakness that I think Rashad Hill, like if, if Rashad Hill does start that I would look for, if I were, uh, scouting, you know, if I were a defensive lineman preparing to play against Rashad Hill would be his hands and his hand technique. His arms are great and long, but there's a lot of ways that you can beat that length. If you're good with your hands, you can swat that out of the way, you know, you can, um, hit from you can like club it from the bottom and kind of get that that hand up and over you you can set it up and knock it down with you know spins and stuff like that so you can definitely beat those things and i would like to see a little bit more veteran technique from Rashad Hill on those things and in preseason games in particular that's what i'm going to look for for him is when a defensive lineman tries to set him up is he uh using more deliberate, I guess, hand technique instead of just throwing it out there. Does he throw his hands out too early? Does he flash them? Does he, you know, know to do that stuff? Or does he, is he simply content to just get into the right spot, keep his hands by his waist and let the guy come, which is a more Riley Reef style. That's nothing wrong with that. You know, patience is fine, especially uh, when you're going up against edge rushers. Sometimes it's right to let them make the first move so that you can react to it and stuff. And all in all, that's a package that I think is, I, I guess we'll put him in the, you can justifiably start him, but he won't be a top half starter in the league, right? He'll be a bottom half starter. And you, of course, want to do better than that, especially with a first round pick. So now we get to talk about Christian Derisaw and how he matches up against Rashad Hill in all of those categories. Uh, but first, I want to talk to you about the best tasting protein bar on the planet. Built Bars covered in 100% chocolate. It's a perfect late night snack or after a workout or even in the morning, and it won't knock you off of the wagon. If you're trying to lose or maintain weight, even if you're doing keto, Built Bar is keto friendly. It's low calorie, low sugar, low carb, high protein, high fiber, and tastes delicious. Comes in nine delicious flavors like cookies and cream, chocolate raspberry, chocolate orange, mint, peanut butter brownie, all kinds of delicious stuff. That'll make you feel like you're indulging in a delicious treat, but your body won't know it. You won't be told on because Built Bar doesn't snitch. <laughs> you can go to BuiltBar.com and you can enter promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and you can get 15% off of your next order. That's LOCKED15 at BuiltBar.com. So as much as my hot take is that like Rashad Hill's a little better than you think, uh, I guess the real consequence of that take is how it affects Christian Derrissaw and when Christian Derrissaw gets in. Um, and, and this is me kind of saying, I have no idea if Derrissaw beats Hill right now. 
Um, and I definitely don't think it should be obvious either way. So again, let's do this traits wise and let's go over the same traits we kind of talked about with Rashad Hill and see how Derisaw measures up. And then at the end, we'll kind of see who won more categories. So obviously the first one, I kind of started with length because that was Rashad Hill's game. It's not Derisaw's game. His length is fine. He actually was one of the only tackles coming out of the draft that like didn't have an arm length problem. Um, and while we didn't get Hill's full measurements, I'm going to give this category to him, even though it's not a huge problem with Derisaw. So we'll give it to Rashad Hills because his body is so wacky and is designed specifically for length, and Derisaw's game is kind of different. Um, his footwork, I'm going to give to Rashad Hill for now because there's a couple of footwork issues that I had in Derisaw's college tape, um, but it's very much a for now thing, and it's also not with a ton of certainty because while Rashad Hills has improved, I, like Rashad Rashad Hill's footwork in 2018 is worse than Christian Derrissaw's footwork was probably in 2018, but certainly in 2020. And in terms of range, that also means Rashad Hill gets that too. Um, again, this is another thing that's not really Christian Derrissaw's game, but it's not as bad as a lot of people thought with Derrissaw because Christian Derrissaw is such a like kind of hulking power lumbering guy. A lot of people thought, oh, okay, well, then he has to be in a power scheme. You know, he's not going to pull across the formation. He's not going to run into the second level. And Virginia Tech had him do that a lot uh, and to a point where he kind of always found a way. And this is one of the things that I, I think was most exciting to me about Christian Derrissaw was that he always seemed to find his way to the guy he was supposed to be blocking if he was uncovered. And if I were a college defensive coordinator, I would have tried to call fronts that left him uncovered on purpose to like make him get to the second level. And then I probably would have been punished on that uh, because he found a way to the guy. And usually he would take really efficient angles and he has a really good understanding of spacing. Um, and so this one, I kind of like for range, I give it 50-50. I think I'm going to go give it to Rashad Hill, who just has a little bit more of a natural talent to it instead of Derisaw, who has not a natural talent, but makes up for it well enough. Um, but this is another one that it's like very much just an edge and something that, you know, by week eight can totally flip around. Uh, power easily goes to Derisaw, right? It's for the same reason we were giving length to Rashad Hill, we're giving power to Christian Derisaw. This is his game. Rashad Hill's power is fine, not a problem, but Derisaw is like a hugely powerful left tackle that has plenty of reps on his tape of him just like blocking sled, sliding people into the bleachers. We'll get to the effort and uh, veteran experience thing in a second, but real quick, um, I like Derisaw's hands better than I like Rashad Hill's. I think Christian Derisaw does a much better job of of setting up linemen and of just being resilient to lineman moves. Um, he's just a powerful guy. And another reason for this is a bit more strategic. So whether or not his hand technique is better than Rashad Hill's, um, it's like just a lot harder to beat him with hand technique because he's so damn powerful. The point of a lot of hand technique is to get a leverage advantage so that if you get that leverage advantage, you can win the rep. Or sometimes it's just to get away from the guy entirely. Um, and this is just not a good way to beat Christian Derisaw, even if you beat his hands. Like, defeating his hands doesn't win you the rep as often against Derisaw as it does against other linemen, which is, I think, a good reason to give the hands thing to Derisaw, where, you know, if you're going up, send, sending, if you're choosing which lineman to send out against a defensive lineman with, like, especially good hand technique, someone that, like, knows really how to win with their hands, 
Um, I would rather send out Christian Derisaw because you have to win more than that to win the rep against him. So let's talk about the effort and the experience thing. So obviously veteran experience goes to Rashad Hill. That isn't just an advantage that he has in this battle. Um, and in time, that advantage will diminish, right? But he has it right now. And then the actual effort thing. Um, let's talk about that real quick. Christian Derisaw just has a lot of plays on his tape. You probably heard about him where he... I don't want to mince words. He quits on the play. He just stops in the middle of the play and the play's not over. And all too often, somebody on his play, if it's especially if it's a longer play, like an outside run or something, the guy he's supposed to block, he will successfully block and then he'll let up and then that guy will get through and make the tackle. I've truly never seen anything like it and it bothers me. So of all of that, we tally that up. Rashad Hill gets length, uh, footwork range. He gets those two kind of barely, but he gets them. Um, and he gets the experience effort thing. So that's five. And then Derisaw gets power, uh, hands, and he could probably get range. You could probably turn me into that. So it's five to two in favor of Rashad Hill right now, which would tell me that, oh, I expect Rashad Hill to win this battle. And look, as it stands right now, I think that's at the very least justification to give him first team reps, uh, because of more than like just formality or, you know, what like tradition or what the Vikings kind of do just automatically. I think it makes sense to put Rashad Hill in that first position and make Derisaw beat him because a lot of those categories where Derisaw loses, he only loses for now. The veteran experience thing, look, that just kind of means does he get the calls down? And once Derisaw gets the calls down, then it's kind of tough to justify giving Rashad Hill like an entire edge in the battle. This is really just a consideration or concession of, hey, Derisaw is a rookie and might not have it down right away, and that's going to be part of the equation. But once he gets that stuff down, I'm not going to give Rashad Hill a whole thing for being like, oh, he's got a couple more years like dealing with stunts or whatever, because that seems like it just wouldn't come off come up often enough, and I'd rather go with like ability. Um, and I think the effort thing it can also be quelled pretty quickly for me. It's a concerning thing I saw in his college tape. It could just be a thing that he did at Virginia Tech and they just didn't care as much as, you know, fixing a technique thing or doing something else with, you know, just chose to allocate their coaching to something else. And then as soon as he gets in the NFL, they say, hey, don't do that anymore. And, you know, they have a discussion about it and then it's gone. Like, that seems like an easy enough problem to fix. Maybe I, I remember when he was first drafted, I kind of thought like, look, that seemed to me like a mentality thing. So I have my reservations. Uh, but if he goes a couple games and we never see it, I'm going to let it go pretty quick. And then, you know, there's the footwork and the range stuff or the other ones that he loses. He'll never get the length thing over Rashad Hill, but the other two that he loses footwork and range are like really close. He just needs to improve like a little bit or someone just needs to convince me that I'm wrong, which it's close enough that like that wouldn't be hard either. So it becomes less a question of who's the better lineman and more a question of how many of these things does Christian Derisaw fix in training camp, and I think that is a 50-50 question. Does he fix enough of these problems in training camp? Does he get the effort thing down? We could see that in the first preseason game. If he's playing through to the whistle and he's really finishing guys and he's doing way better at it than he ever did in college, in the first preseason game, I'm going to be like, oh, okay, they figured it out. You know, if he gets the calls down quickly and he gets in, of course, it's hard for us to tell, but the coaches will know. And that's something that can kind of happen pretty quickly. The footwork and the range are longer projects, but there's just so little distance to cover. I don't know. It's like totally feasible that he fixes a couple of those things and ends up getting, you know, a better 
uh, a, a better skill set than Rashad Hill by week one, and it's totally feasible that he doesn't. So I say it's a 50-50. Hopefully I've explained my case well enough to you. But now I want to shift gears. I want to talk about another left tackle. But speaking of gears, you got to make sure you take care of yours. That means... Uh, regular oil changes. My rule of thumb is every 5,000 miles or every six months, um, it, especially if you uh, became a work-from-home kind of person. The six months is going to be a more uh, important milestone than the 5,000 miles. But either way, you got to get your oil changed, especially out in the summer. That oil can heat up and lose its efficacy even quicker. So make sure you go get your oil changed. And if you're a do-it-yourself or maybe you want to save a buck doing that and you want to maybe look up a YouTube video, learn how to do it yourself, but you got to get that motor oil, look no further than rockauto.com. Rock Auto is a car parts aggregator that can save you money and get the same parts for cheaper. You're not buying cheaper versions of the parts. You're buying the same parts from the same factories, maybe like a different box, different packaging, but that's about it. So you can go to rockauto.com, enter your make your year and your model, and then just say like motor oil, and it'll make sure you're getting a motor oil that is uh, compatible with your car in particular. Um, You can then that'll work with just about anything your car will ever need, be it, you know, emergency supplies or actual car parts, gaskets and stuff like that. If you're really a black thumb so head on over to rockauto.com and at checkout make sure you let them know that locked on sent you because if you don't the bunnies will never be able to afford uh prep school for <laughs> rock auto basic selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need if you listen to the Storytime series last year you probably remember the anecdote about ezra cleveland who was born premature and 11 pounds <laughs> Uh, he was always a big kid. I like how, what a great offensive line beginning as to be like born that big. And if you came all the way to him, you would have been bigger. And he was always a big kid. He was a tough kid too, like a tough country kid growing up out near uh, Spanaway, Washington, where, which is kind of on the like outskirts of the Seattle suburbs. Uh, he went to Bethel high school, but as a kid, he like, he broke his collarbone in a dirt bike accident at five years old. And he, he was just like this country kid, like d- literally digging up stumps and playing on the machines that his dad worked on. His dad did was like a heavy machine operator and he would like play around those. Um, and so as a high school athlete, you may guess that he was freakishly huge and freakishly athletic. And at that point, that kind of gets him everywhere. And he played uh, baseball and wrestling and he played like center field. And he was like weirdly agile for how huge he was. And of course, he was a great wrestler. And uh, he was a two sport or a two way athlete in football. He played defensive tackle and left tackle. And so he just kind of wins on his size and he doesn't really have to go any further. But for everybody in the NFL, there's always this point where you kind of realize where it sets in how far football can take you. And Cleveland seems to come his junior year. He's playing nearby Curtis High School, and he decides he's going to try a new pair of cleats. And that makes his footing weird, and he actually takes a weird step, and he twists up his knee. He will later also blame cleats for a bad 40 in his recruiting process. Uh, but he, on this particular one, he, he steps weird, he twists up his knees, he tears his meniscus, and it ends his junior season. And up to this point, it was so easy because he was just riding his athleticism but during this uh season he got a call one of his first recruiting calls from air force academy and that kind of gives him a push and he has some strength to work on but that call kind of makes him realize that there's some meat on the bone here if he takes it seriously 
Um, so he goes, he absolutely hammers the weight room. He gets his bench up over a hundred pounds. He was, he was benching 230. Now he can bench 345. And he's always been 6'6", 280. So this wasn't a matter of bulking up. It was a matter of getting stronger. Um, and so now he's a much stronger, like two way athlete in his senior year. He plays again, both on defense and offense. He even runs a little running back in a fun aside. Um, he says they they had some injury issues at Bethel, so he had to actually do some carrying of the ball. And he says, nobody wanted to tackle me head on. Everybody just, he called them ankle biters. Everybody just wanted to go for the ankles and try to trip him up. Nobody wanted to take the big guy on, uh, all the way and who can blame him. Um, so this is where he starts his recruiting process, right? And he gets a ton of calls from everybody. He recounts these meetings where he was sitting in a room making, uh, you know, one school wait, making Oregon state wait because his meeting with Washington state is still going on. So he's got colleges lining up outside the room to try to recruit him. And half these schools like him as a D tackle and half these schools like him as an offensive tackle. And he kind of needs to choose his path. His high school coach has this vision for him as one of these athletic mirroring left tackles, you know, mirroring the great speedy agile edge rushers. And there's this event where offensive linemen run a four by 100 meter dash and they pass footballs instead of batons, this fun little exhibition that Bethel would do. And Cleveland, like, looks way too comfortable as a sprinter for an offensive lineman. Like, the whole fun of it is that you get, you know, the big guys out there and it's, you know, run, big boys, run. But he uh, looks, like, way too comfortable as a sprinter. And it's like, man, you can't you can't ask that guy to put, you know, 50 pounds on and play nose. So that narrows his search down to only the teams recruiting him as a left tackle. And Boise State seems like a perfect place because they very famously have a penchant for developing left tackles. They actually are on a streak of getting athletic left tackles into the draft and getting them drafted five left tackles in a row. And uh, Ezra Cleveland will end up being the, the sixth to be drafted out of Boise State. And they do the zone run thing where you can be athletic and, you know, his strength, while it's good, it's not elite. So he can kind of uh, play to his strengths. It's a perfect fit and goes to Boise State where he blocks for Alexander Madison, of course. First day there uh, or first first year there, he's supposed to redshirt. But he doesn't get that luxury because the guy in front of him, his name is Archie Lewis, was the left tackle at Boise State at the time. And he goes down um, and Cleveland has to step in and he will keep the job throughout the rest of college. He does very well in his first year. They decide to have him start right away uh, year two and he never gives up the job. Um, And he over time kind of settles down a bit. You know, he talks about how it was kind of tough as a young kid, you know, getting everything down and being really eager to impress. And as he went on and got more experience and he got more comfortable, um, things kind of came a little bit more easy and slowly to him. And also just not having that pressure of always feeling um, like you're, you know, you're kind of new and you have to stake your claim. Once you've been there a couple of years, things feel a, a little bit easier. And from there, he gets to declare for the draft. So he declares after the 2019 season, of course, he declares for the 2020 draft, gets drafted in the second round by the Vikings. And that's really exciting, especially for Alexander Madison, who says he, you know, we were speaking it into existence. Um, and we kind of know the rest of the story from there. He kicks to right guard. That's what Kubiak wanted for him. Um, he was kind of tossed into the fire as Elfline went down and Samia did terribly. And then he got COVID and then Cleveland came in and he had a really bad game and then a really good game. And it kind of went up and down from there. And now hopefully the bulk of all of that chaos is behind him. He now he's at left guard instead of right guard. It seems like that's the long-term plan for him. And much like us though, he will have a vested interest 
in the battle to his left to see who will play next to him at the position he played for all of his life. Uh, tomorrow is Twitter Tuesday. Do not forget to get your questions in. You can send them to me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL or at LockedOnVikings. You can also email them to me at LockedOnVikingsPodcast at gmail.com or you can fill out the Google form in the show notes if you'd rather. Make sure you check out the Locked On Today podcast covering the NBA Finals and everything else going on in the wide world of sports. Hosted by Peter Bukowski, under 20 minutes every single day. You can find that wherever you find your favorite podcasts. I'll see you all tomorrow for Twitter Tuesday, and as always, skull.